0: Hey, Tain. I wanted to tell you about another podcast, the MarTech Podcast, hosted by Benjamin Shapiro, brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network. I was a guest on this podcast, and he talks through marketing and stories around world-class marketers using technology to generate growth and achieve business and career success, Um, he's got a ton of stuff around data-driven marketing, blurring the lines between sales and marketing. I had one around customer success. So listen to the MarTech podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Okay, here we go. Hey, Christy, what's going on?
2: Hi, Jay.
1: It's just the two of us today. So Jeff is traveling, coming back from a conference. He's been in Austin the first half of the week. So you get, you get me and Christy today, which, um, it's always fun. We've done this once before. Yeah, just I, you, you know I'm what? On. I'm not
2: going to lie. I, I mean, listen, I love when it's the three of us, but I don't hate when it's two.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's a little easier to know, like, when to jump in. it's and a that little kind of, it's, it's, more conversational,
2: right, Jay? Yeah, not she's, that we want to exclude anybody. having a chat.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, and we're going to have a chat this morning. So, Oh, my goodness, are um, we? <laughs> we uh, yeah, so just to jump right in here, um, I, I follow Jason Lemkin. I'm sure many people who listen to this podcast do. If you don't, I would recommend it. Um, founder of saster former CEO of DocuSign. Uh, was it Docu it was DocuSign, right? Or was it mm. EchoSign? Sign? I always get them confused and now I feel like I'm
2: I don't think it was DocuSign, but I can't remember.
1: I think it was EchoSign. Sign. It was EchoSign, Sign, which yeah, is now an Adobe. Okay. I was like, I don't think it was DocuSign. Yeah. Sorry about that Jason if you're <laughs> um, he's probably not listening. It was but, something um,
2: sign it's fine
1: something sign yeah hello sign you, you there's all kinds of them. but anyway, um, Saster is tons of great content for all walks of life within SAS, right whether yes. it's sales CS product it's it's just good stuff. Um, so um, and, and probably one of the best longest running blogs on SAS. Period. Uh, yeah, have I a think great he's been running for over
2: year. a decade
1: now. Yeah, and it started out with him writing this as a blog back in the day. So, so yeah. Um, so anyway, um, they published an article. Jason, I don't know if Jason actually wrote this or not, but um, it's under his name. It says why has his name on it.
2: So <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. Why NRR net retention rate is probably the wrong core metric for your customer success team, which is an interesting and provocative title, anyway. Because I think a lot of the buzz in the industry over the past few years has been net retention rate is the metric for customer success. However, well, we we can unpack that too, because I think there's a difference between having a metric that is for customer success in a SaaS company and having specific metrics for a customer success team. And I think yep. we'll get into that as we talk about it. But the interesting thing, the, sort of the the crux of this article was that Um, You know, Jason's talking about high net retention companies. So think about companies that are, have a net retention rate of 120, 130, 150% annually. And basically the premise is saying in that situation, it creates a lazy customer success team, not necessarily at the management level, but at the individual contributor level. So that was sort of the provocative angle in this article. But why don't we do this before we jump in? Let's level set Christy. What is net retention? What is net revenue retention? Talk about it real quick.
2: Sure. So it's basically your revenue, right? You've got your gross. This is taking your gross. You've got plus minus churn. So upsell, downsell, all the added revenue from, again, cross-sell, upsell all together. That's going to be your final number, right? So what you started with, where you grow, where you contract, final number
1: not counting new business right so just Correct. to be very not, clear no no
2: no this is from your core base so this is everything you start with in your dollars your revenue today where you grow where you lose final number net it out that's
1: right that's right so think of your you know, cohort of customers at the beginning of a period could be the beginning of a year could be the beginning of a quarter etc could and be a month right could be a month <laughs> yeah depending on your business you may look at it on a monthly basis um, so the What's what's happened recently is that companies, have, companies who are customer success focused have come out and said, like, net retention is the key metric. It's really a key metric for a, any SaaS business. If you go look at the highest valued businesses in the public markets, um, the companies that are getting the highest valuations at their fundraising rounds, it's companies that have the, some of the highest net retention rates. Now, they also have high growth rates, period, because they are still selling like crazy yep. new logos. Um, but given that customer success has traditionally had a focus on gross retention, which is how much of the existing dollars do I have yep. on day one? Do I keep at the end of that period minus the upsells? Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, the thought here is if the sales team is driving that, um, you know, it may, it may cover up a lot of sins, right? I think okay. it's sort of the premise of the article. So. Christy, I know you were you were sort of honing in on the bullets. So if you think about the customer success teams in these scenarios, um, there's four bullets here that that this article talks about to sort of support this notion that that CSMs get quote unquote lazy in that scenario. So why so don't you run let's through talk it?
2: through this, right? But well, listen before we get into the bullets, I gotta I gotta lead off. Anybody who's clicked on this this article, checked it out. Um, if you haven't, please go. We'll link to it. Um, Jay also had a post that linked to it there, you can go to Sasser, go to their blog, you'll find it there. Again, why NRR is probably the wrong core metric for your customer success team. But I got to call out the first thing that he led in with, which was a survey that Sasser had conducted. And the survey asked, what's the number one KPI for, uh, for your customer success team? Now, obviously, NRR was the first one here with 67%, which is, I think, the impetus of the article. But the second one, which I was surprised about was NPS. And I guess my shock here is, and that was at 23%. I guess I was shocked because so much of the community rallies around the fact that there's no value in NPS and how are we still using it? So to see 23% after I feel like I I hear so much like, oh, NPS is horrible. It's this. It doesn't tell you anything. It's hard to get a scientifically relevant sample size. Everyone wants to tell me how irrelevant, invaluable NPS is. And so I was like, wow, 23%.
1: Yeah. And in
2: using that as the number one, because the question was what's the number one KPI for your, or your
1: customer success team, not your SaaS company. Right. Correct. So if you look at both of those metrics NRR at 67% and NPS at 23%, that's those are company 90, metrics. <laughs> 90% of customer success teams are measured on something that they cannot directly control. And that's I, the big, in my here. opinion.
2: Yeah. No, and and that's right. That, right. Because you yeah. listen, Both of those things, we're gonna we're gonna spend the time on the NRR, right? But like even the NPS, so much visit is related to the product, the experience, right? So many things outside of an individual CSM's control, right? State of the business. I mean, just there's so many elements of it. And so, how can you hold any one person accountable for things that they can't control? And I think this comes probably leads into some of the issues that we'll unpack today.
1: Yeah. Now, just to be fair to everybody here, this is it looks like a LinkedIn poll, right? There were 700. People, We don't know who those people were. Right. So this could be skewed in some way. It could be skewed early stage companies. It could, who knows? Yeah, there's but, no
2: data behind it that we can validate. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: But, the, the, but I think, you know, in the spirit of this article, which is a little bit um, provocative in general, like we got to go with what's in here. And so it would be interesting. And, and actually, uh, Christy, I don't know if we've talked about this before, but we're we're planning to do an industry survey later in the year under Gangway Retain around some of this, so this would be a good this would be a good metric or I'm That's sorry, so good. A, good a good question to question. ask. yeah, yeah. In, in the survey. Um, and so the other thing is, I did do a post, you mentioned that last night, just to get other people's opinions on this, which we can bring in here as well. And Jason did respond to one uh, one of the one of the points here. So as we go through the points, I'm going to pull some of this stuff out because he said, you know, these are really great points, we should probably go up, up, up uh, update the article. So they're actually this by the time people read this article it probably will have been updated with some of the additional points that were made uh in this post so that's pretty cool
2: let's start with let's start with number. well first again the point being made here this provocative statement was that individual contributors and customer success are lazy right like that is that is the word that was used it was underlined it was bolded um and then he gives four points kind of describing what this lazy looks like in practice um so let's start with the first one so he says the the first bullet says they don't want to own anything they often have very low show rates at qbrs i recently asked a mid-level siesta rep how many of his customers showed up to his qbr he said one i asked him why just one came he didn't really know but he said he thought qbrs were great
1: I like
2: I love it. I love it. I love it. Uh, I mean, there's so many things about this that, that humor me and I think it is, is just funny here, but listen, I got to start in with like, QBRs is an interesting one to use as like a barometer of like effectiveness. I mean, like, again, this goes down to leadership and the, your entire strategy. You know me, I hate a QBR because who am I to tell my customers? You have to meet with me quarterly to go and have this conversation about us right? Like, yeah. So yeah. I think like that's the way that most QBRs are structured. So like, yeah, you want to know why that they're not well attended and, and probably don't happen as as designed. And you know, it has a lot to do with what you're having a conversation around, how they're being executed, how you're enabling your teams to go have these conversations, why you're having these conversations. But I don't know if that's a fair thing to judge a CSM on. I would go back to your leader and say, what is your strategy, right? What is the objective of having this conversation? How are you empowering your teams to do it? What, what does your model look like that you're helping facilitate that?
1: Right, it, and that last point is really good because it's like, who Who are we bringing to the table that makes it worthwhile for a leader within our customer to, to come to the table with their leadership team?
2: are you gonna but- ask a CSM who's been a CSM for maybe six months to go get the CEO or some other C-level executive from your customer to go and yeah. participate in a conversation about you and your product. Let, I mean, let's be honest. That's how it's so like, many of them are executed.
1: It's like expecting a BDR or a like a, a first, you know, two years out of college sales rep to get a, a COO or a CEO on a phone call. It just does not happen. But it's interesting as I as I look at that bullet point more. How do you correlate that with they don't want to own anything? Right. I I so I think <laughs> it's it's just a little bit hyperbolic. Um, I agree. But, um, the owning the,
2: thing, I think, goes back to so many other things, right? Like, I don't think it has anything yeah. to do really with QBR, but I think the example used, I don't even think it was a good example.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. It didn't map very well. Now, the one thing which is interesting here, and this is something that I think customer success managers have an opportunity to improve in. Obviously, I'm, that's a giant blanket statement myself here, but um, if, if, like, it, the statement here is I asked him why just one you know executive showed up to a QBR and he didn't really know that's an interesting point because one of the things i think we can do better in the customer success manager world is really unpack and understand the dynamics that are at play like why aren't people showing up why aren't people adopting like the the root cause of the adoption the retention the growth challenges that we have within our customer base like there's nobody who is going to be closer to the customer so It's, you have to think about not just the product. You got to get outside of the the functionality. You got to know a lot of that stuff, right? Because a lot of times CSMs are the product advisor for a customer to help them be successful. But you also have to understand all the other dynamics at play. And then you can start to inform the go-to-market strategies, the roadmap prioritization of the product team in a way that is constructive and helpful to the rest of the business. So constructive feedback on both sides on this one, which is like, how do we make our teams more, attuned to the dynamics happening within, within our customers.
2: Yeah, I mean, like, this is an interesting one because this goes back to so many CS leaders just doing what they've done or what they've heard done other places. Like, yeah. does every yeah. even business or product even require a QBR, right? Probably not. Um, and probably not the way that they'd executed it. But nobody goes back to go revisit the impact of the things that we do, right? So many customer life cycles are mapped out, created, and then never revisited right? And you never go back to understand, are the things that we're actually doing here the right things? They just design something in a vacuum, they go put it out there, and then it's the CSM's fault when things aren't working, right? Because they would assume, well, it works somewhere else or some other leader had success with it. So it it must be my team, right? It must be this person who can't get the right person, who can't orchestrate the right conversation. And I feel like that is that's where we get it wrong, right? Like so many leaders, you're failing your teams because you're setting them up to fail because we're not revisiting the impact of the things that we're doing. We don't even know if these are the right things.
1: Well, yeah, and that gets gets into leadership and management, right? Because when you set those things up and you expect something to happen, then what is your measurement and what is your cadence of accountability around that measurement? Are you monitoring the metrics? Are you asking the questions? Are you working on those things that are keeping you from quote unquote green status on those metrics every week, every month, right? That that's what that's what operational leadership is. So yeah, but
2: the problem here, I bet you with a lot of folks is that the the metric they're measuring is very binary. Did it happen? Did it not happen? Yeah. Right? And when it no didn't quality, happen without no. unpacking that, right? Because they just yeah. need a straight metric. They can say we did this many. Here's here's the customers that we did this with across these segments. Great. Who showed up? What was the conversation, right? Like there, there's so much more value you can get from really exploring the impact of these things if they are executed or not yep. and we ignore all that.
1: Yep, exactly. Now, a better metric would be would be a CSAT. Like if you are going to have a meeting like this, like send the customer a survey from the chief customer officer or from the CEO or from the customer experience VP, not in the CSM's name, right? But like, hey, tell us about your experience on the on the on the, on the business review call we had with you, whatever you call those, okay. right? And, and then you get some real feedback that you can act on and help people get better. Um, One of the, one of the responses to my post on this on LinkedIn was from a woman named Ramya Raghavan. And it was really, really good. In fact, Jason Lemkin responded to her, to her comment. Um, But she makes a good point on this first one as well. And she said, in a lot of cases, these people were only handed off quote unquote accounts after initial sale close, not relationships. So CSMs are starting off behind the eight ball because they're inheriting, you know, they're starting from scratch, basically, they're not getting a warm introduction. I've always said that the introduction to a CSM should come from the sales rep directly, right, to to help transition the relationship with the people that they have spent so much time building to get the deal across the line in the first place. So
2: and one thing also, Jay, that I loved, you had a post about this also probably not that long ago, but I want to say within weeks, is you talked about how you introduce the customer success team into the partnership when you get started, right? I think that also helps establish Right. When you say things like, oh, this is your product expert, right? Or like you kind of like diminish the value of what they are or don't describe it well, it's hard to orchestrate a strategic level partnership at a certain level when you've you've kind of either brought them down or right or maybe elevated them too much. If you're not positioning them correctly the way you need them to execute in that role, I think that's going to have an impact here also. So I think it's that facilitation of handing off a relationship, and then also the positioning and the communications around it.
1: Yep. Interestingly, that, that is my single most successful LinkedIn post ever.
2: I know it's on your featured now. I saw it. it's got like several thousand <laughs> engagements. Trust me. I, I go back and I'm like, what time did he post that? What's in that content? Uh,
1: <laughs> I don't know. That, that one just really,
2: it's funny. The for whatever that reason take off. That was a it great
1: resonated post. with people. And I think the reason it is that is because it is so that post was so successful is because so many people have that problem. Like, yeah. Everybody has that problem. Okay, all right, we belabored the point. Um, so you want to go to the next? But I would one?
2: disagree. Let's just can we agree to disagree with the the first point of like CSMs don't want to own anything because I don't think yeah yeah up.
1: that that's I think I think they, they, they want to own things. I want clarity. I think they want
2: to be accountable for things. I think folks want yeah. metrics that they can align to. So I'm going to yeah. go and just disagree with point one that they don't want to own anything.
1: Yeah. Yep. All right. They just want to parachute in and solve problems. Point number two.
0: Hey, so gang, grow a team. Customer expectations are at an all-time high. In fact, in a recent survey, 50% of customers said they would purchase more from companies with better customer service. With this increase in customer demand for personalized service, most businesses and CRM platforms can't keep up. HubSpot's service hub is authentic, connected, and more importantly, easy to use. Featuring customer portals, SLA tracking, and custom surveys, HubSpot Service Hub empowers your teams to deliver customer-first experiences that deliver empathy at scale. Put your customer first with an easy, connected platform that delivers authentic service. Learn more about HubSpot's Service Hub at hubspot.com slash products slash service. Go. You know,
2: again, this goes back to the engagement model that you design or like how you you strategize around that customer lifecycle if you've designed a model where your CSMs have hundreds of accounts, you can't expect them to go be proactive, highly engaged, regular recurring meetings, right? So again, this goes back to leadership's design of what that lifecycle management looks like. You know, in our organization, we we have what we would say a a mid to high touch engagement model where we are trying to keep a regular recurring cadence of weekly bi weekly um you know at least monthly we definitely try to not go beyond a month with our customers where we're having strategic conversations so we don't feel like we're parachuting in to solve problems because we do have that regular recurring conversation going to help facilitate that but that's because I've designed it that way to help yep. enable my team to be able to do that work so I think. They just want to power shooting and solve problems. No, you've set them up that way because you've designed a leverage ratio that they can't support. They can't go be proactive when you're giving them 100,000 things to do, wear too many hats, changing their priorities every day. Let's be honest, this comes back down again to life cycle design. You've designed it to be this yep. way. If your teams can only do this, it's because you've facilitated that. I
1: completely agree. And uh, the...
2: So that one got think, me
1: emotional. <laughs> yeah, that one did get you worked up. But but I mean, the, the interesting thing there is, you know, people sometimes, a lot of times, mistake being busy for being productive. That's true. And so sometimes when we're in firefighting mode, we feel like we are getting a lot of work done. The problem is, it's the wrong kind of work.
2: We're scheduling right? meetings. We're we're putting we're pulling data. We're doing things that don't impact the customer at all.
1: Right. That don't that don't take it. It, and I, we always talk about playing offense versus defense a lot. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a, that's another challenge we have in this industry is, you know, how do we play more offense and less defense because we have teams that play defense. It's called customer support. It's called, yeah. you, know, you know, other you know functions that focus on reactive things. But, um, but to your point, that's why we have a support function and the, the best, the best work that I, in my opinion, a CSM can be doing, you have to fight fires every once in a while, right? You you just have that. That's part of the dynamic role that this is, but the best work that a CSM can be doing is engaging with cohorts of their customers. Even if you have a hundred, 200, 300 we have, we have some very high volume CSM accounts, but they think of their books of business completely differently than our tier one accounts, because it's like, okay, I've got a hundred customers here. 50 of them are in some state of the same stage. Like, how do I go communicate with them at scale? Right. How do I go get get them engaged in our community? How do I go get them acting, you know, doing the right next step as a group? Yeah, access to content.
2: We talked about this last week, right? When we talked about scale and what scale looks like, right? It doesn't mean all digitally automated, right? It means how are you going to be able to influence and, and help guide your customers at a larger level?
1: Yep. Um, I'm going back to Ramya's comments here. She said, because CSMs are, the role is blended with support and introed as the point of contact. Lack of proper structure is- And
2: again, going back to your introduction, right? Like, how are you facilitating, (laughs) how are you describing the role from one function to another? So right from sales to CS. So I think that's interesting. But also let's, let's talk about that for a second. Her point- I don't disagree with it because in so many early stage companies, and I don't know what size her company is at now or where she's been previously, but so many early stage companies, the CSM does wear a lot of hats, right? You don't have, maybe you haven't fully designed or developed or built out your support team. I talk to CSMs all the time. They're like, oh yeah, I'm onboarding and support and CS and professional services and consulting and, you know, whatever, you know, it's impossible, to be really good at any one of those things, when you're tasked with doing so many, right? That's why they say yeah. Jack of all trades, master of none. Right. And so, when I think, sadly, again, it's by design. Again, from the organization, you set yep. your team up to operate in that manner. If your team is also playing support because that's where you are in your stage, then you can't. You can't contest it. Right? Like, yes, this is how you have to operate because of the way that you've designed this.
1: Yep. Yep. It, it's it's all in design all right you want to go to the next one
2: okay then this one this was like i don't even know how we're here they are often hard to reach and slow to respond followed with a hmm (laughs) i mean (laughs)
1: "Hmm." "Hmm."
2: okay listen here's what i hmm. will say this goes back to like expectation setting but like my team they're on calls most of the day with customers right they're not sitting around waiting for emails to come in they're not going to be able to respond in 15 minutes most of the time So, I mean, I'd love to know what slow to respond looks like. Is it like within eight hours, within 24 hours? Is it like, I don't hear a response for a week or a month? Hard to reach, I don't know, email, Slack, text, phone. I mean, like there's community, like social media, there's a million ways to access people. Um, So hard to reach and slow to respond. Again, I'm like, I'm frustrated by that because I, I don't, well, first of all, I don't even know how that's being measured. What does slow look like? And hard to reach. I, I don't know.
1: Yeah, I, I, th- I think it's just a little bit sensational, but, um, all right, I'm going to, I'll pull out uh, a comment by Anisha Houlihan, I believe is how you say her last name, but, um, she said, considering laziness appears to be a symptom of employee health risk, similar to how dormant client is a symptom of client health risk. However, an underlying message from this article is that CSM teams need consistent motivation, gratitude, or the right form of incentive in their role to care about the organization's outcomes. It's not always about the metric. There should be a balance between people and value. I think that's such a cool comment because you know, whether this is right or wrong or indifferent, that is true, right? And whether oh, you're absolutely. in sales or customer success or product or engineering, you, you need the right kind of um, motivation and, and to be driven by purpose and a mission with a specific outcome that you can control, and so that that doesn't just apply to customer success teams, but I, I love that comment by Anisha.
2: No, I mean, I think it's so true, right? Like if you looked around, once people check out, they seem to produce a little less, right? They're not as productive as they once were, maybe not as engaged. So I think, yeah, to your point, I think it has a lot to do with that. So it becomes a little systemic, but yeah, uh, interesting. So I'm gonna we're going to move beyond that one because that one's another one that's like, yeah. Um, all right, so last one we've got, and he goes, and importantly, importantly, they don't sweat churn too much if the nrr goal is still being met now this one i thought was interesting so i'm gonna actually i'm gonna defer what is what's your initial thoughts to this one
1: um i i think i think the company at large doesn't sweat gross retention if NRR nr is high. positive. yeah yeah when even though somebody should be sweating it, right, and somebody should be looking at it independently of the net retention rate. I mean, both are important, right? Like, let's face it. And I think actually in the article there's a there's a good example um, of let's see who was this uh, a GitLab? Yeah,
2: 152
1: percent NRR. But 95, right? 95, which 95 is pretty much it's world class. It's, I mean, it's, it's legit. A, it's a, yeah. It's <laughs> a great retention rate. Um, so let's well, talk
2: about that though, right? Because you can't, you can't drive NRR if you don't have customers, right? So you've got to right, focus right. on keeping customers or else you have no customers to grow. So if it's a that's slow right. bleed, you end up with one customer that maybe becomes your biggest customer because they grow exponentially. But what happens, right? You have less to work with in the future. So how are you expected to continue that momentum and that trajectory of growth over time if you're just kind of bleeding this out?
1: Yeah, that's right. And so the the best way to think about this, in my opinion, is like, you got to be a quant about this stuff. And what I mean by that is you have to really unpack it. Don't take the top level numbers for what they are or for what they say at the top level. It's not enough. So there's net retention rate, there's gross retention rate, and then there's customer retention rate. And then you break those things down by segment. So what I mean by customer retention rate is by, forget the dollars for a second, logo, the logos, the number of customers that you have, because a lot of times churn comes from downsell or churn comes from, you know, different segments and different uh, in different quantities. And so it's really important to understand all those things because your churn rate might be okay. And because let's say you're, you're a company that has traditionally sold to small, and medium-sized businesses, right? And now you're going up market and you're, you're specifically targeting larger deals. Like everybody has this story, right? So you may be, you're probably not sweating as much about keeping all those, the smaller accounts, right? Right, wrong, or indifferent. It's not part of your strategy anymore okay. if you've moved away from that. So you keep an eye on it, but you look at it by segment. Right, you look at all three of those metrics by segment. How How much
2: your ICP, right?
1: Yeah, yep. So I, I just I think a lot of times this article again certainly sensational and very like broad brush strokes, kind of kind of statements here. But a lot of times we run our businesses that way too, and we we look at the top level metrics and we sweat you know the top level metrics, but we haven't dug underneath to look. At it. When Jeff and I were in the consulting world with SaaS companies. Like that's the first thing we would do is we would get the data and then we'd unpack it and we would show our clients things that they had never seen before underneath. First, we create a segmentation, right? And we'd say, okay, well, let's just break it down in a couple of buckets. And then let's look at these metrics by the bucket and figure out where we want to go target improvement. And it was just always eye opening for the, and I'm talking not, these were not like, these were late stage companies, like hundreds of millions of revenue that, you know, needed to look at things differently, needed to break it down below the top level metrics, so.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think something interesting also about NRR is like a number for CSMs, I think does depend on how you grow that number, right? And how you're incentivizing against it. But for example, I worked at a company and they sold based on email addresses, right? So it was basically based on employees, right? So everybody's email address. The CSM had no influence over that, right? They either grew or they didn't, or they moved backwards, right? The pandemic, it hit them. That's not the direct reflection or, the, or representative of the impact a CSM is having. And when they grew exponentially through MA or things like that, and you added all of those seats, again, not no direct correlation to the CSM's ability to do that job well. So how are you incentivizing and saying, oh yeah, job well done, when one person just happens to have a company that is growing 10X and everybody else doesn't, right? And then you're able to use that to offset and say okay well no no but your nrr is really high well you just lost 50 customers right like so you have all these customers walk out the door but your your nrr is positive but again you didn't work for that so this is where i think you can start to see some of those behaviors but again this is by design if you're not looking at those things and setting your team up correctly that's what's going to happen um and then i also think like You know, it's important to understand if your growth is coming from cross-sell, right? Or upsell. And and thinking about that is like, if you're an enterprise solution and you're selling more product based off of your customer's needs and what they're doing and the value that they're going to be able to achieve at that point in time from adding these things on, great, then you're probably being more consultative. You're leaning in the way we would assume CSMs are and selling it that way. But your team doesn't have to do any work. Is that the right metric? I don't know.
1: Well, you make another good point there about, where the ups, where the expansion is actually coming from. Like yeah. the same way that you look at NRR, GRR and customer retention by segment, you got to look at expansion by segment too. And expansion broken down in upsell, cross-sell, you know, price increase. The categorization
2: like, of all of that makes a big yeah. impact, right? To your point, yep. the last one you just mentioned, right? You have built in increases on your contract values. So great. Every time you renew an account, it's it's 10% greater Awesome, your NRR is going to be higher, but again, your team did not work for that. That's built into your contract.
1: Yeah, that's right. But you know, it comes down to, you know, again, we've set these teams up as what they are and what you know, giving them a job to do. I think a lot of companies are setting up a customer success team because they think that's what you're supposed to do, right? Well, we've
2: told them that's what they're supposed to do. So,
1: oh yeah, well. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> we, we, we have, but to me, well, I, th- I think the customer success platform industry as a whole, no offense, has told SaaS companies that that's what they're supposed to do. And there's a, even though we say it over and over, I think there's a misconception that customer success is a team versus a company goal, okay. right? And and you don't necessarily have to have a customer success team, to achieve that goal, right? Nope. With a net retention rate target to achieve that goal. And so, um, you know, it gets, it gets back to um, gets back to something we talk about every once in a while here, which is, you know, maybe in the long run, there isn't a team called customer success. Maybe it's, maybe it's different. You have
2: a whole bunch of functions,
1: right? Yeah, you have a bunch of functions that are aligned. I mean, I go back to the, to the Frank Slootman book. You know, he, he eliminated customer success at ServiceNow. And I, I think they've built it back since, but he did the same thing at Snowflake, right? And um, with the, the point being, everybody has to be closer to the customer and interested in the outcomes and you know, measuring the company and departmental success by the customer outcome success and the way that that reflects on our business metrics.
2: Well, this is where the yeah. having a team there is a great place to point fingers, right when you you're saying, yeah. hey, we have this team here. Oh well, it's that team's responsibility to make yep. sure that that thing happens and that accountability falls on them unfortunately and again, going back by design. And sadly, yep. this is why we're stuck in the positions that we are often.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, all right, this has been a really good discussion. I, just to be just to be fair, you know to every to, to Saster and, and Jason, I think this article, Maybe just a little bit out of character for them, a little bit hyperbolic, uh, but it was certainly fun and it certainly has generated some great discussion on LinkedIn. And I think this was a great discussion too. Um, but what are your thoughts? I think, I think everybody you know, w- would love to hear more, more feedback on this. So we'll, we'll include the article um, in the show notes. We'll include um, my LinkedIn post there as well. There's just a, a ton of great people that have commented on this too. Erica Villarreal. Jan Young, um, Ashley Martin, just call out some names. Hal Chen had a really thoughtful uh, response on here. One of my colleagues, uh, uh, Branwyn Tillwith B, we we call them. Um, great, great comment about leadership being the the core issue here. Brian Plaster, anyway, thank you all for engaging with that. It's sort of, sort of fun. We, we don't, we don't get too much controversy in, in the customer success world. So it's
2: so funny that you say that Because I think that all the time, everyone plays it safe because nobody wants to challenge certain things. I yeah. gotta say, although I don't agree with everything, I don't, I don't agree. Listen, the lazy stuff really that frustrates me because I don't think it's an individual's issue. I think it's a leadership issue, but I will say at the end of the day, if you're like my team, our metrics, We have NRR there, but it's the smallest percentage because of the way that our customers grow with us, right? Based on their teams growing, we don't really work for that. We're there to support them. And hopefully they're getting enough value that they want to continue to grow with us and use us. But I am more focused on the logo retention gross and the gross revenue rate retention, right? So those are things that we are looking at. We want to keep our customers so that they will grow with us long-term. So yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. At the end of the day, the
2: underlying sentiment of this, I don't disagree with. I disagree with some of the points that he made.
1: Yeah. 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 Fair enough. All right, cool. This was fun. Next week. We'll hopefully have Jeff back and we'll do it again. Maybe, maybe we'll, we'll find some more, uh, some more provocative stuff to talk about too. In the meantime,
2: I think you should start creating some. <laughs>
1: <laughs> hey, you know, no publicity is bad publicity. Isn't that what? Is? <laughs> All right. Awesome. Have a All right, good Jay. day.
2: Take care. Bye. Take care.
1: Bye. Hey everybody. Jay here. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. You know, this started as a labor of love for Jeff and I a couple of years ago, and it's really turned into a movement around customer success and community, and we couldn't be more thrilled to be a part of it. Uh, we grow this by word of mouth, so we'd we'd love it. If you're willing and you find value in what you hear on this podcast, leave us a rating or a review on on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It'll help us grow and, and provide value to more customer success professionals. Also, if you haven't yet, please sign up for Gain, Grow, Retain, the online community, it's GainGrowRetain.com. You can meet other people, make one-on-one connections, share ideas, get ideas, grow your career ultimately. Um, be on the lookout also for live events, both in person and virtual this year. We're excited to get back to that. And thanks for being part of the community. We look forward to talking to you soon.